Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We will continue this evening with our discussion of Shri Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We are on the 19th Anucheda, the beginning of the 19th Anucheda. Uh, we have already gone over basically defining the characteristics of the Jiva. And now we will begin this evening with the discussion of the 21 intrinsic qualities of the jiva as given in the verse by Jamatri Muni. Uh, these will go on uh, for quite a few anuchetas as there are 21 intrinsic qualities. Jiva also has extrinsic qualities, but these are the ones that are his intrinsic qualities. Perhaps we should begin with a, a quick uh, reading. Well, actually, I do not have that, so we won't do that. <laughs> um, so, in the 19th Anucheda, the first two qualities are uh, given. The... Um, the jiva is not a god, a human, or any other species of life. It's the first quality. The second quality is the jiva is distinct from the body, the senses, and so on. Now, as the praman for the uh, first quality, Jiva Goswami takes a verse from the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which reads as follows. Just as the vital force, the prawn, remains unchanging in its, as it accompanies the individual living being, the jiva, in whichever different species it may appear, whether born from eggs, wombs, seeds, or perspiration, the atma is unchanging in the state of deep sleep when the senses and ego are deactivated and there is freedom from the subtle body, which is the cause of transformation. Yet, upon awakening, the, remain, <clears throat> the remembrance comes to us that we slept peacefully without awareness of anything. And this indicates that in deep sleep the self is present as pure witness, devoid of the content of sensual, mental, or egoic awareness. Now, this verse was also used in the Tattva Sandarbha to designate the, the nature of consciousness and the fact that we have different states of awareness or non-awareness uh, within our material experience. We're fully aware of our wakeful state, and then we have a dreaming state. That kind of varies from individual to individual. Some people say they dream in technicolor. Others say they dream in black and white. Others say they hardly dream at all. There's some distinctions there. So this characteristic of not being the body that you are in is what's being emphasized here. And that unbeingness is experienced the most by us in deep sleep. The fact that we have no context, connection with the body or the, the mind. That's, that's most experienced in our state of non-experience of the body and mind that comes in deep sleep. 
and it's the closest that that we would come to a state uh, before we actually have mastered the mind and senses and are able to enter into a state of samadhi, which is a transcend state where we're our awareness is actually much different than deep sleep. It's awareness without the awareness of the body-mind complex in which we're uh, entrapped. So now on to the second characteristic. The second characteristic being we're distinct from this body. that the jiva is distinct from the body, the senses, and so on, is stated uh, by Bhagavan Sri Krishna. The atma, which is the witness and self-aware, is distinct from the subtle and gross bodies, in the same way that fire, which burns and illuminates, is different from the wood <clears throat> that is burnt. And that's a statement from the 11th canto, Uddhava Gita, wherein... Krishna was instructing Uddhava. Jiva Goswami goes on, the reason the Atma is distinct from the subtle and gross bodies is that he is their witness as well as their illuminator. But the Atma itself is self-aware, swadrik, meaning it is self-luminous. So this is an interesting concept to think about the analogy that Krishna has given in order to convey this to Uddhava, that it's like a distinction between fire, which can come from wood, and the wood itself. So the fact that we have a material body, still the illuminating capacity is distinct from the body itself. Now, we've gone over different schools of thought and some uh, poor vipaksha in this regard, but our understanding, the understanding that can be derived from a, a deep uh, study of Vedic knowledge under good guidance, is that there is a distinction between the body and the self, the soul, the atma. And it's an interesting, as I said, analogy that the capacity is there in wood, but the fire is completely, it's, a, it's entirely different from the wood itself. If you didn't know that wood would burn, you know, it would be, well, what's, where's that capacity? In a similar way, if we didn't know that the soul exist, existed, then we could be misled by a, 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 another conception of what the soul was, or if the soul even existed. But here we have a, a, a deep understanding. The soul is really the illuminating principle within the body, just as the fire is the potentiality that's there lying dormant in wood. So our spiritual self is lying dormant and is used to different capacities within our body or not at all, depending on the 
the degree to which we're influenced by the modes of material nature. So if you look to the, there's all kinds of bodies. There's bodies, you know, in plants and birds and beasts and all kinds of animals. And there's, there's consciousness in the human form of life. There's consciousness in the, in the godly form of life, the devas. And the, the degree to which that consciousness is free from the lower modes of material nature, to that degree there seems to be and there is an awareness of there's something more. Uh, up to the point when the human being comes to the point that they say, Atato Brahma Jignasa, you know, let me inquire how much more is there to me than what what I'm experiencing. How much more potentiality is there for me than what I'm currently experiencing through my mind-body complex? And therefore we have spiritual seekers and they take different paths according to their their good fortune or lack thereof as far as the path they take to. So these are, as I said, all intrinsic qualities that that we're going to be reviewing here. And uh, they're going to be reviewed in detail up through the uh, 37th Anucheta. So we're on the 19th. So uh, we'll go step by step through all of them that Jimitri Muni has, has mentioned and as evidence of these various uh, intrinsic qualities of the jiva, uh, primarily the Srimad Bhagavatam will be used as the as, uh, praman, as evidence. Um, then in 30, Anuchetas 37 through 44, we'll concentrate on giving us knowledge of how the jiva is... Um, integrated with the Paramatma. It's an integrated part of the Paramatma. And how the Jiva is one with the Paramatma and how the Jiva is distinct from the Paramatma. And then this section, this middle section of the Paramatma Sandarbha will conclude with other characteristics of the jiva uh, so these would these will also be covered up through the 47th anucheta then we will go forward and study the the various manifestations of the bahiranga or the external potency of para, paramatma inert matter and what's the characteristics of matter maya now this verse as I said, was also used in the Tattvasandarbha, very center of the Tattvasandarbha, 54th Anucheta. And we'll go over that commentary because there the verse is a little more elaborately described. Here, Pipalayana explains that the vital force perpetually accompanies the Atma into various species of life which fall into four categories based on the source of life. 
So the verse mentioned these four categories. For example, the vital force may occupy the body of an ant in one life and that of an elephant in a different life, and yet all the while the vital force remains unchanged. Similarly, the Atma appears to undergo changes in association with the many states and shapes of its successive bodies, but in fact it remains unchanged. And we've pretty deeply covered this idea of the states of consciousness that we experience within our day-to-day -day lives. Two states of consciousness. One, in one state we're, we're able to fully utilize the, the mind and the senses uh, and work in the world. In the other state, the senses are no longer are not working. But the mind is still churning out all these conceptions of, of what life could be. Now, sometimes these conceptions get so strong that, that even the body will follow them. I, I remember seeing a, uh, a little video of a dog sleeping. The dog's sleeping, and I'm sure the dog in his sleep is thinking it's running. So its legs start to move. And then in a half-awake half state, the dog's legs get on the ground and he runs wall. So, so sometimes even the dream state can, can you know, bring to, bring to some animation or our gross senses. And I, I'm sure we've all had some experience of that. The body sometimes reacts to what the mind is thinking, even in the sleeping state. And we can wake up in an awkward situation saying, how did I get here? According to Shruti, the dreamless sleep of the mind enters into the Puritat Nadi, the psycho-somatic flow channel in the region of the pericardium in the heart. Now a verse to support this. Where, do, where, where exactly do you go in deep sleep? I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting concept. Where, where are we? So now it's where well, you're going into the inner chamber of your heart is what these mystics have, have, have ascertained who know all these states of consciousness deeply through contemplation. So there's a verse from the Upanishads. When fast asleep, the Atma does not know anything. At that time, the mind removes itself from the 72,000 nadis, known as hita, beneficial, which extend from the heart and enters from the heart, from, the, from, the, from where we actually are in this body at one ten thousandth the tip of a hair. Mm -hmm you know, where we reside. So they refer to this allegorically as that's the heart. That's where we are. And it's saying, well, from that place, there's 72,000 nadis, an outreach of into the body. 72,000. So in deep sleep, we go to where that is to the core of our of our self. So these come out from the self and are the methods of perception 
within the body and enters into the nadi called Puritat, where it rests. So there's one place there where there's nothing going on. Feelings of happiness and distress are modes of the mind and therefore part of the subtle body. This is described in Bhagavad Gita. Desire, hatred, happiness, distress, the aggregate, the physical body, and will, all these, along with their fluctuations, constitute the field. So, during deep sleep, we, are re we retract entirely from the field of action, both gross, wakeful state, and subtle, dreamlike state. We're, we're, we don't, there's no outreach on our part into the material environment at that time. As mentioned above, in deep sleep, the Atma is disconnected from the mind and feels no material happiness or distress, no desires or hatred. It is then submerged only in the bliss of the self. But this does not mean that the Atma becomes liberated in deep sleep. It is still bound by the subtle desires which propel it to return to the dreaming and wakeful states. So we we almost get out. You know, we're we're as we're as close as we can get to complete liberation in deep sleep. But then there is still the subtle the subtle desires that drag us back into our dreaming and then our wakeful state of consciousness. So we've covered the first two. We're not a god. We're not a human. And we're not any other species of life. And we're truly distinct from the body and the senses. We can actually, what well, we do every night, completely give them up for some short time. Now, if you don't do that regularly, well, it can actually lead to a complete breakdown. You have to be able to turn off in deep sleep. And it's said that people that do not sleep properly and do not enter into deep sleep, after a few days, you can lose your mental equilibrium if there isn't that deep sleep. The next quality, intrinsic quality of the jiva, is given in the 20th Anucheta. The jiva is not inert. Jiva is not matter. The Anucheta, rejecting that the self is essentially inert, not najada. Bhagavan Sri Krishna says, rejecting that the self can be inert, Krishna says, this is from, again, the 11th canto. Wakefulness, this is, he's speaking to Uddhava. Wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep are the three conditions, conditional states, rittis, of the mental faculty, buddhi, arising out of the gunas of material nature. The jiva, however, has been ascertained to be distinct from these states due to his being their witness. 
So we get back to the very beginning of the Paramatma Sandarbha. What is what is the what is that characteristic of awareness of the field of activity? So Krishna is speaking of that in in these instructions to Uddhava. Jiva goes on in Zanocheta. On the other hand, that the self nature of being transcendent called Turiyatva, literally being of the fourth state beyond the three conditional states mentioned above, is found in Paramatma as also. It is a fact that is widely acknowledged as found in the next text where it is said, therefore, becoming established in me, the fourth state, the jiva should abandon this identification with the mental states. So now we're getting some some deeper insight. Okay, we we are experiencing three states of consciousness. What what is there is another state of consciousness, a fourth state of consciousness, beyond the three conditional states mentioned above. Jiva Goswami continues, but the transcendent Turiyatva found in Paramatma transcendence found in Paramatma is altogether of a different category from that belonging to the Jiva, which is also of the fourth state, transcendent, transcendent, since it is distinct from the three conditional state, as indicated in the following statement. Now, Jiva uses his, his evidence, a statement from Sridhar Swami's commentary on the Bhagavatam, 11th canto. Virat, Hiranyagarbha, and Karna are the three limiting adjuncts, upadis of God in his capacity as the supreme immanent Ishvara. But he who is free from these is called Toriya, the fourth dimension, or in other words, the supreme transcendence. I'm going to read through the end of the end of Cheta. And then we'll discuss this a little bit. Alternatively, Paramatma's Turiyatva is distinct from Vasudev, is distinct because Vasudev occupies the position of transcendence, Turiya Kasa, of utter non-involvement with Upadis among the members of the Chatur Vyuha. Whereas Sankarshad, Prajumna, and Aniruddha are said to be figuratively connected with the causal, subtle, and gross upadis, respectively. What's being said here by Jiva Goswami directly in the Anucheta, based on Sridhar Swami's commentary from the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam, is that you can look upon a distinction between Vasudev and Sankarshan, Prajumna, and Aniruddha, the Chaturvyuha, as they are manifest within the material world. Meaning that Vasudev is completely uninvolved. And you could look to the involvement of Pardumna, 
Sankarshan, Sankarshan, Pradumna, and Aniruddha as being involved because of their functionality within the material realm of what? The causal, Karnodakshai Vishnu, um, what's the word? Subtle, Garbodakshai Vishnu, and uh, gross, Kshirodakshai Vishnu. So we are already gone over these in relationship with the Paramatma earlier in this Paramatma Sandarbha, that these three manifestations can be seen as, well, they are, when the when the Vyuha extends its potency, or the Supreme Lord manifests within the material cosmos, well, three of those manifestations of the Chaturvyuha take on positions and you can figuratively say well they're these are like upadis one is the creator of the of the whole cosmic manifestation karnadakshai vishnu from whose pores all the various universes manifest then he enters again into each individual Uh, uh, universe, cosmos, cosmic manifestation uh, as Garbodakshai Vishnu and from him we have the birth of Lord Brahma and from Brahma we have the, the manifestation takes place and then he also enters every individual jiva within a universe as the Antaryami, as the, as the super soul um, uh, Karnadakshai, uh, no, Kashiradakshai Vishnu. So, Prajumna, Sankarsan, Vasudev, Sankarsan, Prajumna, and Aniruddha. So, we can look at the other three as being affected by the upadi or the designation, again, just figuratively, because really the Lord is not a but he takes on these these different manifestations. He personally takes them on in relationship with his external potency. But he's not affected by figuratively. But figuratively he does have you can't that's the nature of Paramatma. Paramatma is that manifestation of the Supreme Lord in relationship with his external potency. And he manifests in these three different forms. So you could say, well, he's, you know, he's very responsible in that. In that. And he, he has, like, a job to do. He does... And that you could say, well, it's like an imposition, which is what? An apati. You think God is. It's like, what, what's, what's that one explanation of an apati? It's, it's a clear crystal, but when you put it next to a rose, it looks red. When you put the Supreme Lord into the next to the material environment, which He's never affected by the material environment, but it sure looks like he's creating. He is. He's manifesting all these universes. But he's still 
to Supreme Lord. I just, I just read an example in the Bhagavatam in the first canto. Prabhupada was ex- kind of explaining the same thing and giving the example of the, like you have the, the prisoners and the prison guards and the warden, but then you have the governor who might visit the prison and is ultimately in charge of the prison, but he's right. He goes into the prison, but he's so the 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 governor's entrance into the prison would be like the manifestation of Vasudev. But there's still a warden. There's still somebody that's there every day keeping the place running. These are the other manifestations of the Supreme Lord. Right. Sankarshan, Pradyumna, and Aniruddha, or Karnadakshai. He's there. I mean, they're there every day doing the job of creating maintaining and maintaining and protecting and dealing with the desires of every living entity. I am seated in everyone's heart. For me comes remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness. So there's a connection which is like an upadi, and that's the point that, that's trying to be made here. So not to belabor the point that God's still completely independent, but he also has manifestations. And then we get to a deeper understanding of when he actually touches the material energy directly, what, then that manifestation of the Supreme is a Shiva. So we have the Shiva, and then Shiva actually is in touch with the material energy. It's a very complex uh, understanding, this Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but it's also comprehensible in good association with reading good scriptures and, and, and the practice of devotional life. It's without, without that practice, without that regular Nicham Bhagavata Sevaya, where we're actually involved in the purification process of bhakti and in touch with bhakti on a daily basis, then the, the intelligence does develop the discrimination that allows the apprehension and comprehension of these subtle points of philosophy as deep as we can go. And it, it's unlimitedly deep. To the point that, at a certain point, there's no need for any of this knowledge. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, we come to a point where Lord Chaitanya, in his instructions to Sanatha Goswami, is speaking of abandoning Shastra Yukta. That you you actually get to a point where, well, you you, you enter into. The Maya that is binding binding us in the material realm will actually, as we attain sp- complete spiritual awareness, will be the different Maya that takes away all that detailed knowledge and allows us to enter into the Leela of the Supreme Lord without the burden of seeing him as the Supreme. It's a, it's it's this, it's the same it's the same energy 
One's in relationship to material, the material life that we have, and one will be in relationship to our spiritual life. We desire to go from illusion to illusion. That's our Gaudiya Vaishnava philosophy in a nutshell. We want to give up the one illusion and enter into the other illusion where we forget there's God. And at least forget that Krishna's God. There may be a Narayan that walks through from time to time. And we can question him. Oh, I see your God. Could you tell me where Krishna is? I can't find him right now. You're, you're omniscient and omnipotent. You should know. Please give me a hand here. So we'll finish up with a little bit of uh, the commentary on this third intrinsic quality that we're not matter, we're not inert, the jiva is not inert. The three conditional states, wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep, are states of buddhi, intellect, or anta karna, the interior psychic apparatus, caused by the gunas of sattva, rajas, and tamas, respectively. But the jiva is distinct from these three states as their witness. An observer is distinct from the observed, and the observer must be a conscious being. According to Krishna, the jiva is the witness of the three states of buddhi. Therefore, the jiva is a conscious being. While, once is, while one is awake or dreaming, the mind undergoes modifications according to the external or internal experience. This modification of mind is called a vritti. In deep sleep, the subtle and gross senses are inactive and thus there is no vritti formed in the booty. In that state, there is no awareness of oneself as happy or miserable, male or female, or any sensations of the outside world. This lack of any specific vritti is also called susupti vritti, or the mental state in which there is non-occurrence of other mental phenomena. In that state, there is only the self-awareness, I, nothing beyond that. Deep sleep is, nothing's coming on to the screen. <laughs> the TV is off. <laughs> the mental TV is off. Which is also inexpressible because of the absolute unawareness of everything else. I consciousness, or in other words, subject consciousness, has relevance relevance only in relation to objects of non-I. There has to be an object to, to relate to. In deep sleep, there's nothing there. There is, there is the one vritti of basically ev everything's off, susupti. Upon awakening, the remembrance comes, I slept well. This remembrance is possible only if the person who remembers has experienced a refreshing sleep, the susupti vritti. This means that even in deep sleep, the witness of sleep is present. From this, Sri Jiva Goswami concludes that the jiva is distinct from the three states of buddhi and, this, and is thus called tariya, or the fourth. So we're distinct from all three of those states, is what Jiva said. We actually are of the different state, even from deep sleep. Bhagavan Vasudeva is also called tariya. 
not only because he too is transcendental to material nature, but also because he occupies the fourth position, Turiya Kasa, or non-involvement with Upadis. Among the members of the of Swayam Bhagavan's quadruple expansions, Chaturvyuha, he is thus beyond the three Purusha avatars, as we discussed, Karna Dakshai, Garbu Dakshai, and Kashira Dakshai. He is the source of those three Purusha avatars. The verse referred to from the Bhavartha Tapika, the Bhavartha Tapika is that commentary by Sridhar Swami on the Bhagavatam, is also cited twice in the Bhagavat Sandarbha. As it relates to the present discussion, we include here an excerpt from the commentary to Bhagavat Sandarbha Anucheta 4. This Bhagavan is called Turiya, the fourth, because he is free from any limiting adjuncts or apodis, which are of three types, as given in the verse quoted in Bhavartha Dapika 11.15.16. Virat, Aranyagarbha, and Karna are the three limiting adjuncts, upadis of God. Virat is the gross upadi, Hiranyagarbha is the subtle upadi, and Karna is Maya, the causal upadi. These three restrictions apply only to the Purusha manifestations who are known as Kashira Dakshai, Garbo Dakshai, and Karna Dakshai Vishnu, respectively. But Bhagavan, replete with six opulences, is beyond these three upadis. So we'll continue next with the fourth intrinsic quality that the jiva is free of modifications. Are there any questions? Thank you so much for your association.